Bob here again. So this is part two of my topic about the sin which so easily entangles us. First of all, let me say that those who know the God of Scriptures know that they serve a warrior God. The God of the Scriptures is a fighter, and he expects his children also to be fighters to a point. In the church age we now live in, the Lord has chosen to seek to save people, though, and not destroy them as he did in the Old Testament. Now, to be fair, the Lord has always been open to people finding him, so long as they search for him on his terms. Today, this pathway to the Holy Creator God only comes through one path, and that path begins by believing the saving gospel message of Christ, which is available to all who choose to believe. I know the Calvinists hate that. But sadly, many of God's people have failed miserably in the area of sharing the love story of Christ. Many in the church have lost the desire to seriously obey a lot of God's commandments, among which is the command to go out into the world and share the gospel with the dying world. In the past 40 years, I have seen the ability of God's people to spiritually discern the basics of God's truths dwindle down to nearly ground zero. I just do not see a spiritual hunger in many of God's people for knowing and then obeying the deeper things of God's word. I see a lot of apathy in believers for God's biblical truths. Oh, there's a lot of churchy people out there doing churchy stuff. But when it comes to obeying God's commandments, you just don't see it. There just does not seem to be any real urgency by many in the church to really know anything beyond the basic baby food of scriptures. Anyways, I digress. The Lord expects his children to fight to protect his word and to also fight against their rotten sinful flesh that is constantly pushing them to disobey the Lord and to satisfy self. Now in the church age, we do not fight with earthly weapons. The church is not commanded, like the Old Testament believers were, to march into the pagan Gentile cities and literally chop off heads. Christ told his followers that he came to save people and not destroy people, which should be the same attitude we have. Now, Christ is going to come back, and when he comes back, he will be coming back as a warrior God. The Lamb of God will return as the Lion of Judah, and heads are going to roll. And unlike Christ's first coming, there will be no mercy at his second coming. Now, our Heavenly Father can be a loving Father. However, just as with any earthly fathers, our Heavenly Father cares more deeply about those children of His who choose to walk the talk. I personally believe that the Scriptures clearly imply that our Heavenly Father has a special place in His heart for those children of His who choose not only to obey the Scriptures, but also to defend them. Malachi 3.16, some great verses. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before Him for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord. On the day I will prepare them as my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Aren't those awesome verses? Let me repeat. So, You will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. Brethren, these verses are written to and about God's people. The wicked ones or the ones who do not serve are carnal or lackadaisical believers. Anyways, as I was saying, we serve a warrior God. He is not pleased with his children when they avoid 
for numerous selfish reasons, to not be in the fight with him for his truths. And one more thing, our Heavenly Father is displeased when his children give up. Galatians 6, 8-9 For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Again, notice that Paul makes the believer responsible for staying faithful. And please notice that receiving this blessing of eternal life is conditional. It's based on staying faithful to the end. Brethren, it's not the Holy Spirit's job to strengthen God's people. He's not called to do that. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He enlightens us, but he does not strengthen us. Walking worthy for the one who suffered and died for us is our choice and not a work of the Holy Spirit. These AWOL children of God who give up cave to the pressures of life and then surrender to the ways of the world. The option of giving up the fight for God's truths or for not speaking God's truths is not a godly option. There's a great verse in Jeremiah 12, 5. If you have run with the footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? So back to my sin victory topic. So as I shared last time, the ridiculous idea that God's people need not ever again worry about being defeated by whatever sin it was they supposedly once got victory over is simply not true. Again, remember Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. You hear them words? The sin which so easily entangles us. I don't want to be arrogant myself, but how many of you Christian men have totally defeated the sins of lust or pride or arrogance or being unteachable? Last podcast I shared with you about the inner sin battle that the faithful apostle Paul admitted to having in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 21. As I also stated, I am a firm believer in the concept that all of God's children are sinners saved by grace. And I believe that none of God's children, not one single one, will get complete victory over their sins until we get to the other side, where we will get our new sinless glorified bodies. Praise God. Can I hear an amen there? If anyone teaches you differently about what I just said, it reveals their ignorance of scriptures. In this podcast, I want to explain why simply being called a saint or called a Christian does not mean that a believer is seen by God as being holy and blameless. So with that said, let me break down the concept of believers being called saints. You say, but Brother Bob, if I am called a saint, doesn't that mean that God sees me as holy and blameless? Not always. Let me explain. Now, in the Greek, the word saint does mean holy or sacred. However, in the scriptures, sometimes the most wicked and rebellious, unrepentant believers were called saints. However, it was a name only, like the name or title Christian. You see, all believers have the title saint, whether they are faithful or not. Just as all believers have the title ambassador for Christ, even though many are not living like ambassadors for Christ. Just as believers are also called children of the light, however scriptures are clear, some children of the light are spiritually lukewarm or spiritually dead. Christ told the believers at the church of Sardis, you have a name that says you are spiritually alive, i.e. saint or Christian, but you are not. How can that be? 
I thought I was holy and blameless when I had a name that said I was alive, like saint. That is not what Christ believes. You see, scriptures clearly show that God's people can have a name that says they are alive, like saint, Christian, ambassador for Christ, or children of the light, and still be carnal, i.e. not holy and blameless. Let me give some examples of that. The Apostle Paul said the Corinthian believers were called saints. Saints by calling is what he said. All the Corinthian believers were called saints as a title. Again, like the title Christian. Many of us know true blood-bought, born-again Christians who are no longer living Christ-like or saintly, and yet they are still called saint or Christian, unless they have denied the faith completely. I will show you shortly that these Corinthian believers were not called saints because of their walk. 1 Corinthians 1, 10-11. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Divisions and quarrels. This is an issue one would find in any church. But the St. Corinthians get worse. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able to receive it. You are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? So basically, the Apostle Paul is saying, when I first initially met you, Corinthians, I gave you just mommy's milk, i.e. the spiritual baby food of God's word, and now I hear you're still on mommy's milk. So I cannot really give you any meat and potatoes to eat because you are still spiritually immature. This is a rebuke. These Corinthian believers were choosing to stay on mommy's milk instead of moving on to a little bit more adult-like spiritual food. Remember, these believers were immature, fleshly, carnal, and yet they were still called saints. However, their behavior gets worse. These St. Corinthians were allowing incest and idolatry and homosexuality and adultery to go on in their church. Brethren, these St. Corinthians were not holy and blameless in God's eyes just because they had the title saint. 1 Corinthians 5.1.2, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind does not even exist among the Gentiles Someone has his father's wife. And you Corinthian believers have become arrogant and have not mourned so that this man would be removed from your midst. So do these carnal believers sound like they are called saints because they are holy and blameless? I do not think so. And yet they were still called saints, but in name only. Trust me, the the good Lord wasn't looking down at these Corinthian believers and saying, why aren't these children of mine so godly and righteous in their walk? In fact, if you do a study on the Corinthian believers, you would find that the Apostle Paul rebukes, shames, and warns them of their carnality in nearly every chapter in the book of Corinthians, even though they were still called saints by name only. I'm going to explain the application for the word saint. Being called a saint does not mean one is living saintly. Saints are simply called saints because they have chosen to accept Christ as their Savior. A lot of God's people choose Christ to be their Savior, but refuse to make him their Lord. It's another topic for a different time. A believer being called a saint is like a person who chooses to become a plumber. The man who chooses to become a plumber is called a plumber. Now, simply becoming a plumber 
i.e. and being called a plumber, does not mean that this new plumber will be a good plumber. Being called a plumber is simply a title. It is the same with the word Christian. Christians are not called Christians because of how well they serve their Savior. The word Christian is simply a title for a certain group of people who identify with Christ. So simply being called a saint in name only does not mean that the believer is holy and blameless. Now I'm going to eventually qualify what I mean when I say that I believe the scriptures clearly show that a blood-bought, born-again believer can be both a sinner and a saint. Now I know to some that concept seems confusing, so let me explain. It seems that some believers struggle with the popular phrase, sinner saved by grace. Some of you struggle with the idea of a faithful believer being called a sinner, let alone to be considered being called a sinner saint. So unless the idea of a faithful believer being a sinner is explained properly, it can be confusing. Listen to me now. In the book of James, the carnal believers are called sinners, not saints. Now, just because some of the believers that James writes to were considered sinners, that does not mean that they were not saved. I am sure that they addressed each other as saints or Christians when they greeted each other at their assemblies. The carnal believers that James writes about would have been called saints by title, but like the Corinthian believers, they were not living saintly lives. So with all that said, let me tell you why I know that all of God's children are sinners saved by grace, because the Bible tells us so. For all have fallen short, even after we're born again. Let me start with the meaning of the term sinners saved by grace. First, let me say that no one can truly be born again unless they clearly understand that they are a sinner. There is no need for a savior if one does not believe they are a sinner. Secondly, saved by grace simply means that whatever avenue or path we have to be forgiven of sin by holy and just God is the result of him freely choosing or freely giving us a way to be forgiven. In other words, it is because of God's goodness, i.e. God's grace, that he even chose to offer himself as a human sacrifice for mankind's sins at Calvary. The free gift offering of God's Son to the world as a sacrifice for sin was one example of God's grace. We sinful humans did not deserve or merit Calvary, and yet the Lord freely offers forgiveness of sins to all who believe what Christ did for them at Calvary. And even after a person gets saved or born again, it is God's grace that allows God's people to approach the throne of Christ in order to get a continual cleansing of any sins they commit after they are born again. Neither one salvation nor the sin cleansing we received after we are born again are the result of anything good or nice that we do. Both salvation and our sin cleansing are the result of the grace, the goodness of God. Anyways, this leads up to my main topic verses. The sin which so easily entangles us. Again, the verse I want to use is my main topic verses, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. I want to focus on a part which reads, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Notice this doesn't say it's hard to be entangled by sin. It doesn't take a lot of work. Um, it's easy. It's easy for us to let our flesh jump right in there and distract us from doing the things that please the Lord. The writer of Hebrews in this verse is clearly telling God's people that they need to lay aside both the encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, the man who wrote these inspired by God Bible verses 
does not sound like a man who believes that God's children are going to have this easy victory over sin. In fact, the writer is saying just the opposite of that. The writer of Hebrews says it is both encumbrances and the sin which so easily entangle us. Many times these encumbrances, the things that weigh us down, can even be stuff that seems right, like doing a lot of church stuff. Sometimes, brethren, we got to learn just to say no. Sometimes we just need to say no to church stuff, especially if we are ne- neglecting our family or just finding out it's a more of a burden than we can handle. Yes, them burdens, even though they seem righteous, can drag us down, wear us out. Now, again, I'm going to focus on the part of the verse that says the sin which so easily entangles us. Entangles in the Greek means to encircle or surround us, to easily distract us. So the key words here are so easily. So how are you doing spiritually? How is that walk with Christ coming along? Are you getting discouraged or confused with the constant battles or struggles you are having between your sinful flesh and your Jesus-loving spirit? Do you get frustrated thinking, there is no way that I can be seen as pleasing by my Savior if I continue to give into my sinful flesh? Well, brothers and sisters, I'm here to both encourage and comfort you with this simple truth. Believers can most definitely struggle or stumble with sin and still be seen as being faithful in God's eyes. Now, again, this message is not directed towards the believer who is unrepentantly wallowing in their sin. This message is not intended for the carnal child of God who is enjoying his or her life of sin. Now, for the rest of you, those of you who love the Lord but are not quite sure where you are with Christ because of your constant sin struggles and sin defeats, I'm here to both encourage and comfort you with the fact that our Heavenly Father does not stop loving us when we struggle and or stumble in sin. I'm going to let you in a little secret. The Lord knows that all his children are sinners. The Lord knows that from time to time his sweet little children are going to let him down. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and through death, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So with that in mind, I say to all those believers out there who are in this real, ongoing, genuine, everyday spiritual battle between us wanting to serve ourselves and wanting to serve the Lord, welcome to the real Christian world. Now, I have already shared the honest personal sin struggles that the Apostle Paul shared with us in Romans chapter 7. However, I want to key in on two verses, Romans 7, 22 through 23. For I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in me. Apostle Paul didn't stop sinning because he was anointed to the position of an apostle. I am simply sharing these verses to encourage you, in case you forgot that faithful Apostle Paul had the exact same struggles with getting victory over sin that we do today. The foolish idea that God's children are somehow mystically or supernaturally delivered from their inner rotten sinful flesh just because they are born again is just not biblical. Ah, yes, what a blessing it would be to be continually walking, sleeping, dreaming, and even snoring in the Spirit 24-7. Amen? What a blessing that would be. In the next life, if we are found to be faithful and not simply born again, we will be, with our new sinless bodies, continually praising our Savior with a completely clean heart. But for now, we all have this rotten flesh to deal with. Psalm 51.5, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mommy conceived me. We are all born defective. We are all born spiritually dead. In all actuality, our birth certificate is a death certificate. Our birth certificate should read in large 
bold letters, born physically alive but spiritually dead, headed straight to hell. Geez, that statement sounds kind of morbid, doesn't it? If we are honest with ourselves, we know that deep down inside our souls, there is this altar of darkness where the most disgusting things imaginable flow out of us. It doesn't change because we got born again. This dark spot in our souls is our sinful flesh. It is a place where we sometimes try to hide or store our sinful things like bitterness, envy, or lust. And because all humans are born sinners, this altar of darkness is not going to go away until we get our new sinless glorified bodies. God's children should not be surprised when a believer stumbles and falls into sin. It's what we are. It's who we are. And if anyone tells you differently, they're a liar. First John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are all born with this rotten, evil flesh that wants nothing more than to be fed and served in whatever ways are necessary to satisfy its evil desires. The best example of that inner sin nature is are those sweet little innocent children not. Those unsweet, corrupted little kids do not have to be taught how to be bad. It comes naturally to them. Now, everyone, listen to me very carefully. Even if we are abiding with the Lord, abiding with the Lord means walking in a close, intimate fellowship with him. That does not mean that we cannot or will not sin. Let me say that again. A believer, a faithful believer, can be sincerely abiding with the Lord and still commit sin. Back to Romans chapter 7, verse 21. The Apostle Paul says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Now, the scriptures do tell me that if I am walking, thinking, breathing in the Spirit, I will not sin. However, as I'm going to share with you today, I do not believe that any born-again believer, because of our inner sin nature, will ever walk in the Spirit 24 hours a day, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. As I shared last podcast, in 40 years of walking with other Christians, I have yet to find one single believer who has complete victory over their sinful flesh. I have seen the ugly face of sin pop up instantaneously in the lives of brothers or sisters in Christ who I consider faithful men. It's just there. It happens. It's not a good thing, but it happens. Again, I'm not saying it's all right to sin. I'm just saying it's going to happen. And if any believer tells you that they've got this complete victory and that they're walking in the Spirit 24-7, they are lying to you. 1 John 1, 8 and 10, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Listen, brethren, if the faithful Apostle Paul, who I know walked righteously with Christ, openly admits his sin struggles kept him from getting victory over his flesh, Who am I to think that I can get victory over my sinful flesh? Again, I sincerely believe that perfect walk with Jesus will not be possible until we finally get to the other side where the faithful will get their glorified bodies. Hey, you said this was going to be encouraging. It will be. Just hang in there till the end. But before I go too much further, be encouraged knowing this. The Lord knows that even his most faithful children, those believers nearest and dearest to his heart, will not walk a sinless life 24-7 while they are still living in these corrupted bodies. And also be encouraged knowing this, the faithful saints we read of in scriptures, those mighty saints we look up to, people like Noah and Hannah and Joseph and Sarah and Job and Moses and Daniel and Zechariah and the Apostle Paul, were not seen as blameless, holy, and righteous by the Lord because they had stopped sinning. 
the faithful men and women of scriptures had not reached some imaginary spiritual level, which only a few are allowed to ascend to. Those righteous sinner saints of the Old Testament were seen as blameless, holy, and righteous in spite of their sin. And here is why. They were seen by God as being blameless, righteous, and holy, not because they had stopped sinning, but because they walked with humble, obedient, and sincerely repentant hearts. It is the blood of Christ that washes away the repentant, dirty sins of the child of God. The key word here is repentant. Scriptures say, blessed is the believer whose sins the Lord does not take into account. And the only reason that the Lord does not take into account a believer's sins is because they were washed away by the blood of Christ. However, this sin cleansing is not a one-time, for all-time sin cleansing. that takes place the moment someone gets born again. It's a continual process. Every time we sin, we've got to go to the Lord with a sincere, humble, repentant heart and seek a cleansing. And we can do that over and over and over again. So every time we commit a sin, whether it was the same sin we've done over and over again, or whether it's a new sin, we must be re-cleansed, washed again by the blood of Christ. And this sin cleansing process goes on and on and on throughout the believer's entire life. Many in the church get this arrogant attitude that just because they might not struggle with sins of, let's say, drunkenness or drug addiction or bitterness, as other believers do, they think they have victory over their flesh. I go, what? What about the sins of gossip or favoritism, which is a biggie for pastors? How about the sin of unteachability or jealousy? And one more thing. I want to reiterate that the faithful believer's walk will consist of a lifetime of resisting the sinful flesh that we were born with. And contrary to what some feely believers tell you, this battle over our sinful flesh is our responsibility, not God's. Second Peter 3.13 But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which the righteous dwell. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him, to be at peace, to be spotless and blameless. So do you truly understand what Peter is saying here? Peter, speaking for the Lord, is telling God's people that it takes an effort on our part, diligence, to want to overcome our sins. we got to want to overcome them. Holy Spirit's not going to do it for us. God is not going to overcome our sins for us. Again, to be diligent involves human effort. In fact, in the Greek, it means to make every effort. Brethren, there are some great rewards listed in the Scriptures for those believers who strive to overcome the flesh. It's clear in the Scriptures that human effort is involved in overcoming sin. We have to do our part. Please, please, please stop looking for this unbiblical fantasy teaching that tells God's people that the Lord will fight all of our battles for us. He'll fight all of our sin battles. We just got to sit back and let them take over. Believers were given the ability to defeat the power of sin over our lives when they got born again. The Lord is never pleased when we sin. He's Just because we're sinners, he doesn't tolerate or put his blessing on us sinning. It's still wrong to sin, but he expects us to fight against it. And we might be getting victory on a Monday over our sin, and it pops up again on Wednesday. That happens. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Again, Paul's talking to the believers. He's not talking to the Holy Spirit. He said, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul is not speaking to Christ or the Holy Spirit, imploring them to make the believer walk in a manner worthy. 
Paul is telling God's people to choose to walk in a manner worthy. Also notice Paul says here, be diligent. There's that word again. Put some effort into it to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Again, Paul is not asking the Holy Spirit to make sure these believers preserve the unity of the Spirit. Paul is telling the believers it's their responsibility to choose to be united in the Spirit. Now, I get it. All believers need the Spirit guiding and enlightening them to the deeper things of God's Word. However, with that said, the Holy Spirit is not going to be there to reteach and re-enlighten God's children to do those biblical things that they have already learned. The Bible says to him or her who knows, i.e. learned the right things to do and does not do it, they are in sin. The Holy Spirit is not a babysitter for believers who choose to stay on mommy's milk. Brethren, I sincerely believe that way too much responsibility for a believer's righteous walk is pushed onto the Holy Spirit. God created all humans with the ability to choose. To choose right or wrong, good or evil, up or down, or even a Chevy over a Ford. And again, the Lord hates sin. This message wasn't to, to put a blessing on or put a stamp of approval on Believers choosing to sin. It's always wrong to sin. The wages of sin is death. It's just as much today as it was 2,000 years ago. Again, in closing, what is awesome about our Savior is that he became like us in all things human, except he had no sin nature. But he knows what it's like to be tempted. He understands our struggles with things like lust and envy and pride and anger. Christ absolutely relates to Brother Bob's outburst of anger or his lack of patience. Now, the Lord is not okay with sin, but we have a loving Savior who knows that time after time we are going to sin. The Bible says the Lord sympathizes with our sin struggles. He is not a Savior who will mock or ridicule us for our shortcomings. Christ will never say, hmm, you again, Brother Bob. You have been here a lot this week. Why are you so spiritually weak? He will never say that. So as long as we are striving to overcome our sinful tendencies, as we genuinely walk with the Savior according to his word, he will be there to cleanse us of any new sins we commit. Christ is a loving Savior, not just a Savior, who can relate to our weaknesses. There are some enduring words from the Lord in Isaiah chapter 1. The Lord talking to his children says, Come, let us reason together. Although your sins are scarlet, I can make you white as snow. All that he asks is that we genuinely strive to sin less and come to him when we fall. And then get up and keep moving forward in our Christian walk. Your friend in Christ, Brother Bob, who only loves him because he first loved me. Lord, please open our eyes to the things that matter. You can get a hold of me at brobobforhim at gmail.com. B-R-O-B-O-B number four him at gmail.com.